0: Let's talk about Bant. All right. Before you shoot your pants, <laughs> uh, I know that this topic is very controversial. So there are a lot of folks like me, sales trainers, sales coaches that just talk shit about Bant. Oh, God. How could you do that to someone? All this other kind of stuff. And, you know, to be totally candid, I've always looked at Bant as or any qualification framework, medic, MedPic, There's a time and place for them, but none of them will work if you just go list through and treat the sales call like an interrogation or a checklist or an interview. None of those are going to work. I think we can agree that the execution of this is super important. The other thing I think we can agree on too is that there's not a time and place to use your qualification framework in the middle of a cold call and be going through budget, authority, need, timing in a cold call or a short 10 or 15 minute meeting I think we can all agree that that is pretty ridiculous. And if you're using Bant or any other qualification framework like that, you're, you're definitely missing out. You're alienating a lot of prospects. So with that being said, today's episode is why you should reconsider Bant. Okay. We're going to talk about some data that wingman pulled from 3.8 million minutes over 200,000 sales calls over a year long period And there's some really interesting stuff in here. Uh, We'll get into that in a second. My name is Jason Bay. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So today, what we're going to be talking about is qualification. And I'm going to be talking to Shruti Kapoor, who is the CEO at Wingman. There's a couple things, okay? They're really interesting. The theme here in this episode, and the reason why we're talking about qualification is that all of their data concludes that when qualification is done and when you talk about these things, win rates tend to go up. Okay. Win rates go up by about 25% according to their data when qualification questions are asked. Right. So, authority, for example. So, multi threading, talking about the buying process, talking about other people, making sure that you have a good champion that's only brought up 7% of time in deals, but when it is brought up, it increases win rates by 30%. Okay. Uh, Agenda setting, which is crazy to me that reps have calls and don't set agendas. When reps set agendas and talk about the things that they're going to be digging into, win rates go up by over 50% there was another thing I thought was really interesting too, and is around budget. So when prospects talk about budget, does that, and they say they don't have the budget, does that increase or decrease win rates? Well, one of the things that it looks at uh, that we looked at here is that there's a 27% increase in win rates when budget is brought up budget as in I don't have the budget. Is that interesting. Cause it, the, the bottom line here is that when you bring these things up, I suspect what it does is gets you to having a real conversation sooner. I, I literally just booked a deal. <laughs> it signed off. I'm recording this on a Monday. It signed off on a Friday. And the second call I did with him, when I talked about the price, he said, there's no way we can do this. This is out of our budget. That's how the second call ended. He emailed me literally 10 minutes after and said, let's figure out a way to make this happen. We hopped on another call, got four other people involved on his team. And we had to do a little bit more after that, <laughs> a little bit of negotiation, but we're making it happen. He just signed. So bringing up those things, super, super important. So this is going to be a really fun episode. We get into a lot of the data and the best practices and, and kind of what to do with the data, which I think is the most important part. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, all that kind of good stuff and uh, enjoy this one. Let's talk about Bant. So you uh, you consume a lot of LinkedIn content. I know you post a lot of LinkedIn content as well. <laughs> What's the general consensus on Bant for, with the sales leaders that you interact with? What do they think about Bant?
1: <laughs> I think it's probably, you know, one of the more controversial topics, right? Um, on the buyer side, people think that they are being interrogated. Um, and I think on yeah. the sales leader side, they always feel that, you know, if, if you don't have the basic qualification criteria, then, you know, you're wasting your time and theirs. Um, I think my personal take on it is it's, I think it's helpful in making sure that you are talking to the right audience, but how you do it and how you get the answers is important. Um, And yeah, I think overall data supports uh, that, you know, getting the right type of qualification in helps you in, you know, just making sure that, you actually have overall better win rates, so why not?
0: Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the data. Cause I guarantee you there's people listening to the podcast right now and they're like, wait, what? They're gonna talk about Bant? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so <laughs> let's uh let's unpack the data. You wanna give us some perspective on you know what you sampled here? I think this is a whole year's worth of data or something like that, that you guys, uh, compiled, but yeah, give us some context on the data and the sample size and the time frame and all that kind of stuff before we dig in, if you could.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we looked at, um, you know, an entire year's worth of data. Uh, right. And this was 3.8 million, uh, minutes of calls. Um, so, you know, 200,000 calls, uh, And over a period of 12 months across many different types of customers. So, you know, if you think that you have a very unique process, um, you know, of course, we're going to be talking about averages here. But a lot of different types of sales processes are being represented in this like 4 million odd minutes of
0: calls. And when you say many types of sales processes are you referring to the sales motion as in it could be an SMB sales motion up to an enterprise sales motion and sort of everywhere in between?
1: Exactly, yeah. So we see, um, you know, we see uh, people doing different uh, sales cycles, different uh, ACVs, and also, um, you know, just different uh, handover processes, right? Like it might be just singly handling the deal end to end or it might be SDR to AE to, you know, uh, pre-sales handoffs, but yeah, all of those types of things are included in this.
0: Got it. And I'm really curious just because there's an overwhelming amount of data, I would assume that you guys could work through. How do you, how do you even decide what you're going to (laughs) analyze, you know, in the data? How do you even decide where to start when you do something like this?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I think what we try to do is we try and focus on, um, you know, what what is it that we're trying to answer in um, through the analysis, right? So if we are looking for signals, which are more later stage in the funnel, uh, then maybe we only want to look at conversations, which, you know, resulted in a deal, uh, at least an opportunity being created, right? Versus if we are looking for maybe some earlier science, uh, then, you know, you could just focus on uh, saying that let's only look at, say, outbound cold calls. Um, Or if you're looking for an end-to-end perspective, then we look for, uh, of course, calls through the journey from, uh, you know, the first time you speak to the customer, that might be a qualification call or even your cold call, um, all the way to the time you close the deal with the customer. For this specific analysis, we are actually, uh, most of the data is uh, looking at, uh, you know, customers and conversations that have gone through uh, the entire lifecycle because then, we are able to make better uh, correlations with respect to, hey, you know, wh- how does this impact actually a win rate or how does this impact like, you know, somebody even creating an opportunity out of it. So, yeah, I think yeah. Um, the purpose of a lot of what we will talk about is just giving an overall perspective, but we sometimes go and do like different slices and dices um, based on, you know, ACVs, sales cycles, etc.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about what you guys found around qualification and BANT, and what 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 did the data tell us?
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing here is um, just how often do people actually talk about it, right? Like you said, you know, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Um, and do people actually do uh, you know BANT style qualification? Um, so of course you are not necessarily saying like you know people are hitting all uh, of those four things, but you know, in one out of every three calls, people are asking qualification questions, um, which, you know, which I think is a very healthy number because we are, of course, looking at uh, calls uh, through the cycle, um, which means that, you know, one is, hey, people do ask these questions. Uh, Two, these are not questions that get asked just in that first call, right? So don't beat yourself up if you did not, you know, hit all of those four questions on that first conversations, Uh, but make sure that you're actually trying to qualify and understand the prospect through the journey. And I think in today's environment, as the markets are changing so much, people's own budget timeline, uh, you know, even the reason why they're buying your product might be evolving week on week. So it's important to actually revisit some of those questions. Maybe it's not just uh, hit it one time and forget about it.
0: Yeah, so I want to make sure that one, I'm bringing this up, and two, just like discovery, you're always doing it. <laughs> it's not something that happens in the first call or later on. It's it's something that you're doing throughout the entire process. So, what's some of the data? What what surprised you about some of the the findings? Um,
1: so, I think one of the things was, hey, um, you know, the ongoing debate on does it really help to be asking these qualification questions? Or maybe we are actually endangering deals by asking too many questions. Um, So I think the first thing here, and this is, of course, broad strokes, um, asking qualification questions uh, increases the win rate by 25%, uh, right? So what we mean is like, hey, if you were to look at a deal, uh, like where people were not asking qualification questions and say you were getting, um, I don't know, like, 10% win rates, versus if you were to look at all um, conversations where qualification questions were being asked, you would actually get like a 12.5% win rate versus, you know, your baseline of 10%. So, you know, I guess the first thing is, let's just all get on board and making sure that we understand the importance of qualification questions. Um, And then I guess the next one is, among all the qualification questions, which one comes up most? Um, do you want to take a guess, Jason, on that?
0: It's probably either budget or authority would be my guess.
1: <laughs> so the answer is actually timeline and
0: the, oh, really, okay.
1: I mean, I, I, my hypothesis is that it's probably, um, you know, somewhat easier to ask that question because I, so authority is actually the one that mm. people in some sense do the least because yeah. they're, just I think they, they sometimes find that it might be perceived as being rude or like questioning, uh, you know, the signing power of the person you're speaking with. Um, yeah. So yeah, timeline's the one that comes up the most.
0: Timeline. So these are questions like when would you like to move forward or when are you looking to launch this? You know, what's the exactly. ideal start date? That kind of stuff. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I think that what's what's really interesting is, The timeline piece, if we talk about that first, Uh, what percentage of the time, by the way, do you have that stat that people ask about it? And what happens?
1: 23% of uh, the time, yeah.
0: Yeah, so 23% of the time. And what's the correlation on this with win or loss rates?
1: Yeah, so, you know, this is again, like a strong one on increasing win rates. So it increases the win rate by 26%. And, it decreases uh, the loss rate by 18%. Um, So, you know, what that means is overall, you're in a much better position um, to know uh, that you'll uh, follow up enough to close the deal. And I think in today's environment, maybe that's even more important because we know that timelines are getting extended, but having a realistic expectation on what that timeline is helps uh, salespeople stay on track, right? You know, what we are seeing is if, people were previously selling a product in like a four week sales cycle. Today, that sales cycle might be closer to six to eight weeks. Now, if you're going in with the same expectation of saying, let's just, you know, if I'm not able to close this in four weeks, then maybe the deal is dead. um, You know, you're going to lose uh, and you're going to have a lot of leaky revenue. Um, Instead, if you were to actually set the right expectations, ask the timeline qualification question, then, you know, you're, much more likely to know that, Hey, this is only going to close in two months. And so I need to follow up for that entire period.
0: Yeah. And when you say right now, are you referring to just the economy?
1: Yeah, just the economy. Uh, We're definitely seeing, um, you know, some shifts there and we can talk a little bit about that too.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) it's kind of interesting. Do you, does the data have any best practices around how to ask about timeline? Or do you have any recommendations? I mean, I have, I have some thoughts, obviously, with that. But I'm curious, what, uh, what the, what's the best practice, just from your experience and, and from the data around what question to ask and how to ask and that sort of thing?
1: Um, no, so the data doesn't necessarily dig into, um, you know, what, what are the different options and do they play out differently? Um, I would be curious to hear what you've seen.
0: Yeah, I, I love the, um, like the working backwards from a launch date, you know, so, um, you know, Hey, ideally, when would you like this to be in the hands of your sales reps? Or, Hey, ideally, when would you like that first training call with us to be, you know, or a hypothetical kind of question? Hey, I know we're really early in the process, but let's say that you like everything that you have to hear. And, you know, we move forward. Ideally, when would be the week that you would want to run the training? You know just like working backwards from that start date i like that kind of hypothetical because it just you're acknowledging that the deal is not closed and just making it a little safer you know to kind of answer but that's typically what i do and what i advise but i find that a lot of people don't really talk about timeline very much you know you said it was 23 percent of the time it's i'm surprised it's it's well i'm not surprised Actually, but 23% I see that I'm like, God, what are the other seventy-seven percent of people doing if they're not asking about it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is the one thing that you can do to build urgency most of the time. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> and it's it's definitely much more important to build urgency right now. So what you know, when COVID started when we did a similar data analysis to just see what was impacting close rates the most. Um, you know, what we realized was that it wasn't so much people pushing back on budget, but it was a lot more people, um, you know, wanting a longer timeline to make their decision. Um, And, you know, I'm assuming we are going to see the same thing play out right now with there being a different type of uncertainty. So I think more than ever, it's important to make sure that we get those timeline questions. And I like your phrasing because uh, it's, You know, it's kind of a presumptive close to some extent, but it's also much more of a, I'm putting yourself in a future state and like helping you imagine like, what does this look like? Um, And I think for any types of questions that we ask the customer, the more we can do that, the more it, you know, kind of makes it real for them to say, hey, you know, this is what it'll look like if I were to start using the product.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the reason why I call it pre-closing, the reason why I like to ask those questions is oftentimes it invites some objections too. You know, so they might be like, "Well, we're still talking to another person about X, Y, Z, and then we can talk about that." It gets a lot of the stuff out in the open when there's some sort of timeline, you know, to work from. Um, so this is really interesting. So okay, so timeline if we kind of start to unpack, do you think it'd be a good idea to unpack maybe the other parts of Bant and how, how people do it, how often it's brought up, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So we can definitely uh, talk about a few of those. And I think also a few of the other signals that we thought, um, you know, really stood out and might be useful uh, for the audience. Um, What we discovered, and therefore I might stay away from talking a little bit more about uh, the budget pieces. Um, you know, like the budget piece is changing a lot in the current environment. So maybe it makes sense to look at it from the standpoint of today versus like last year's data, because I think um, people's perspective on that has changed quite a bit. Um, What we do see is like authority is the one that struggles the most uh, in terms of, you know, reps asking for it. And it was only being asked in like 7% of uh, the deals. Um, And of course, but when it does uh, get asked, right, it is one of the things that, you know, not surprisingly increases your win rates by close to 30%, uh, right, because then you know who is the person you need to engage in the deal cycle. Um, and the sooner you do that, the better for you, um, because otherwise, if you're waiting all the way until the end, and you're just asking the person, hey, who do I send the contract to, then that's probably not a good sign. Um and yeah. the other thing that it does is it again, you know, similar to the previous data, it does also reduce the loss rate by 20%. Um, so, you know, you're much more likely to know where you stand in the overall picture scheme of things.
0: Yeah. So, okay. This is an interesting one. Do you guys have data around multi-threading?
1: Um, not, uh, not right now. I don't have data on like looking at deals which have multi-threading. But yeah, maybe that's a good uh, follow-up segment that we could do, Um, especially, I think, then breaking it up by deal sizes, of course.
0: Yes, I think that would be really interesting data because there's some interesting conversational intelligence data around multi-threading. And it's it's all pretty conclusive. It all kind of says the same thing, that win rates are higher and the deal sizes are bigger when we involve more people early, especially early in the process. But the authority piece... Do you have any recommendations? And again, we can just kind of go back and forth on this if you want. I think the biggest thing is that people are uncomfortable to ask because they don't know how to ask, (laughs) you know, about it. Do you have any guidelines or best practices that you recommend around how to have this conversation in a way that doesn't alienate the prospect?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one way to talk about that that is probably less threatening is asking them, hey, you know, is there something else that you bought? You know, if you already know, like they mentioned that, hey, we also bought this other tool recently, you could just actually ask them, you know, what did that buying process look like, right? Like who else was involved? Um, And that then becomes like them telling you a story of something that they recently did. And they're much more likely to, you know, just go back, think about all the details. Um, And, They themselves might actually come up and say, you know what, maybe it's a good idea to include A, B or C in the next conversation that we have, or let me bring, you know, these other people into the demo that we are doing. Um, So I think that's one way that I've found helpful uh, and not uh, not that threatening.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's that's the go-to, you know, asking about the buying process for something that's similar, you know, or, or something that's, you know, kind of the same. Hey, last time you guys did this, what did that process look like? It's a really good way to kind of unpack and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, another thing that I like to do too, it depends on the rapport that you have with the prospect. But after that initial intro call, I could be like, Shruti, so on the next call, what I was planning on doing was giving you a quick demo just to show you how we can you know help you solve all of those problems and help you accomplish the goals that we talked about. Assuming that you really like what you see, what would happen next if you guys wanted to move forward? Yeah, and just get cool. them to kind of envision that future state, you know, kind of thing that you talked about earlier. What would that be like? And oftentimes they'll talk about who else they would need to get approval from, or what the process would look like, mm-hmm. and you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, is there any other place that you see reps make a mistake when it comes to uh, when it comes to this?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know the agenda setting piece is pretty interesting um right so just to kind of double click into that the last time around we did this analysis we were seeing um people doing agenda setting much lesser it was like you know less than five percent of uh the conversations that they were having um i don't know if it's us or if people have just gotten better at it but uh, we are seeing that happen in uh you know 16 percent of all the deal conversations um in our data set from last year and unsurprisingly right like And this could be like what you said, it could be setting agenda for your next meeting ahead of uh, time as you're setting up next steps, or it could be uh, agenda for the meeting that you are on. Um, And, you know, again, you could be using that agenda setting to also say, hey, you know, this is what we are going to talk about. And if all of this goes well, then, um, you know, this would be the expected next step. I think that really helps people also just put in their brains, like what is going to happen Um, what do I need to be doing during this conversation? Otherwise, it's very easy for people to, um, you know, just sit back as the buyer and be in the, you know, I'm going to eat the popcorn and enjoy the show, uh, right, while you're doing the demo and all the talking. Um, And, you know, this is one of the most impactful things that we've always seen. It, you know, it increases the win rate by more than 50%, you know, in some cases, close to 100% um, uh, win rate increase. So, I would say like, this is the one thing, like if you're not doing anything else, make sure that you're setting agenda um, and, you know, you're setting it the right way. You're using that as the time to actually get engagement and buy in, um, you know, from your prospect.
0: Yeah, this is another one of those very basic things that I cannot believe that you said 17% of people are setting agendas now. Is that what you said? Or 13%?
1: 16%.
0: Yeah, sixteen. I'm like, dude, eighty four percent of sales reps start a meeting without setting an agenda. It's it's insane. It's that's so crazy. Um, what best practice here from your standpoint? What what should we be addressing in the agenda?
1: Um, so I think it's useful to uh, get the agenda as the way to define what is the outcome from this meeting, not just, hey, you know, this is what we are going to cover today, right? Like, it's useful to phrase that, hey, you know, I will talk about, you know, I will talk about the product, I'll show you how uh, some of our customers use this. um, And if all of this looks interesting, um, you know, at the end of the meeting, I would like to be able to figure out a way for you to say, you know, set up a trial account with your team right now once you set that as the expectation then the person is constantly thinking you know am i ready to actually sign off on a trial right so you want them to be in the position where they are saying you know i need to take the next step here and what do i need to be able to make that next step happen uh, rather than them saying okay let me just go absorb all of this information and then i will you know take time later to think about it you actually want to no. set the agenda to get people to start using that time that you have together to make the decision and ask questions that help make that decision.
0: Yeah, I think that's a super important part is like the time check along with what the expected outcome will be. You know, the typically what happens at the end of the call is one of two things, you know, you're going to find that you really like this, and you want to get started, in which case we could talk about that, or you might find this is not a good fit for you, which is totally okay. You know, Um, again, I, I cannot believe that, 84% of reps don't set an agenda. This is like one of those really easy, easy things to do that will also help you get the authority stuff. Like, I love what you said there about getting them to think about what do I need to make that decision on this call? You know, and it really frames the entire conversation around that. Um, Let's talk about budget. What are kind of the do's and don'ts around, around budget and talking about it?
1: Yeah, so I think um, what we are seeing, and I'm going to actually dive into a little bit of analysis that we did with just the data from the last um, three months, right? So we looked at data from October 2021 all the way to June uh, of this year. Um, And this is much more uh, specific and relevant to saying, hey, how do I talk about budget or how do I even navigate through uh, some of these objections that might come up around budget um, during the current scenario of, uh, you know, people being unsure about the economy, uh, people uh, possibly facing like budget freezes or being much more careful about budget than they were in 2021, right? So one thing that we are seeing is that, you know, while people are, of course, worried about the economy, um, it's not coming up as much, right? So it's it's still coming up in less than like 5% of the conversations that people are having. Now that could be a good thing or a bad thing, right? Um, Maybe that indicates that things are not as bad as um, people are just being a little bit more paranoid Uh, or it could indicate that it's too sensitive a topic for them to bring up, uh, you know, early on in a conversation with a salesperson. Um, But I think what that translates into for a salesperson is to, you know, of course, not freak people out, uh, but to actively talk about like budget and more specifically about ROI. So what we are seeing yeah. is that, uh, you know, when instead of like talking about budget, if you just lead with talking about, hey, this is how the product delivers ROI, that is something that helps people go back and, um, you know, uh, make a stronger case for your product, especially in these times. Um and so we are seeing that, you know, customers and reps are bringing up ROI um, more than like, you know, 15% more uh, right now than they were earlier, which is good. And where they are bringing up ROI, um, it is increasing the win rates. Um, you know, right now those numbers are still moderate in like the 5 to 10% range. Um, but I think that might uh, evolve over a period of time. Uh, we did see a pretty stark Um, you know, change when people talked about ROI, um, you know, at the start of the COVID pandemic, when again, you know, people were uncertain, timelines were getting prolonged, and a lot of uh, companies were also facing budget freezes.
0: So what I'm hearing then is that a way that we can talk about budget is by talking more about the dollars and the cents and the ROI and the return. So kind of the more logical side you know, of the sale and proactively bringing that up. Uh, A question I find that's very obvious, but very helpful to ask is because everyone thinks about it differently, especially, you know, I sell to sales enablement and then I sell to sales leaders and then sprinkled into there are sales development leaders and they all think about ROI differently, especially enablement from sales. Enablement is very much a, It's less about the outcomes that the reps experience from the trainings and more about, do I have something that's repeatable? Do I have something that's going to be common language across all of the reps that we're working with that's going to allow us to reinforce through trainings? So just asking, how do you think about the ROI of something like this is really an interesting question to ask a prospect because you'll find that people have different ways that they think about the ROI for stuff like this.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think um, thinking about ROI in terms of how your persona, like what is your persona's main KPI that they need to hit, um, you know, probably is more helpful than thinking about ROI with a broad brush stroke, just based on your product.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So
1: also on the budget side, like we do see a like a 27 percent increase in win rates where people are mentioning budget, even if it's in a negative context. Right. Like even if people are saying like, hey, this might be too expensive for me or I'm not sure if I have the budget right now. Um, I think what is most important is making sure that you understand where people are on the budget side so that you can address that concern head on. Um, so yeah, definitely an important qualification question to bring up. But maybe in today's context, to bringing to bring it up, also uh, you know as a way to identify objections that might be related to it, so that you know again you're not waiting for it till you send the contract and you know somebody says sorry I don't uh, have approval.
0: Yeah, I love what you shared there. The other thing that I find too is that getting the budget objection out early is to your point from earlier, getting them to think about making a decision. And oftentimes this authority piece, if I'm getting a budget objection, I may not be multi-threaded or talking to the right person too. Most of the training engagements that I end up closing, the training was not in the budget to hire me. We were just talking to the right people and I happen to be working directly with a VP, let's say that's close with a CRO and they can talk and get budget. For the training, because I find that a lot of people, you're, you're totally right. The win rates do, I tend to welcome budget objections because now we're having a serious conversation. This person's seriously considering, you know, this, and then I think the key is getting the prospect to want to work with you to, to build a business case or to want to involve other people. You know, I'm working a deal right now with a a guy that's a new chief revenue officer at a a smaller company. You know, there's about 10 reps there. So he's kind of doing a lot of stuff. But we went from budget being the objection to now he wants to get other people involved in the company, uh, like marketing and some of this other stuff so that we can make a bigger case to get budget from the uh, CEO, you know. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that even when it's brought up in a negative context, the win rate still increases because people are talking about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, when you go window shopping versus when you actually go shopping, uh, right? Yeah. Like you're going to probably have uh, a lot more questions. You're probably going to negotiate. You're probably going to, you know, uh, push back a little bit on the price that you hear, but all of those uh, you don't do when you're window shopping because you know you don't care about the price when you're not going to buy something
0: yeah no exactly that's really interesting so we covered budget authority the need piece i feel like is probably the most obvious part of uh, of Bant, but what kind of findings did you guys have around the need piece what did you what did you look at
1: yeah i must actually correct myself There's The need piece is actually the one thing that reps are doing, um, you know, the best at among these four. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, when we look at need, we also look at it more from the lens of like, you know, problem based selling, like, you know, are you asking about, hey, what challenges you're facing, et cetera. So um, we see that happen in like um, 37 and a half percent of all of uh, the deals, uh, right? So it could be basically people asking like, hey, what's, you know, what's your main challenge? What's the main problem that you're looking at? Uh, things like that and it's you know one is it's easy to ask right because um, that's that's like an easy opener I think uh, most people don't feel as threatened by it on either side Uh, and that's probably why it's happening um, in you know roughly 40 percent of the calls Um, but the even better thing about it is that it almost doubles the win rate and it also increases your loss rate by 30 percent now the reason why The increase in the loss rate here is, um, I think, pretty important is because that means you're leaving less of your deals in limbo, uh, right? You're getting more of them into a decision. Uh, And that's always good because then you know who are the people who are still alive uh, in your deal pipeline that you need to be following up with and talking to. Um, So incredible stats then. 92% increase in win rate, 32% increase in loss rate.
0: Wow. Yeah, this is the, let me know what your sense is, but my sense is that reps, especially from this data, they tend to over-index on need, and they focus a lot of the conversation on that when it's really just, like, if you had to weight BANT, how would you weight all of those, all of the criteria, actually? Maybe that's that's a more interesting question. How would you weight the importance of each part of BANT?
1: Um, so I would say need is almost the foundation. um, Because once you understand need, well, is when you can really do a good job with trying to create urgency, because then you know how it fits into everything else that they're trying to do. Uh, And then, of course, in getting the right language in place for talking about budget and ROI. Um, So I think that, you know, it's it's very, very foundational. Um, The mistake that people make often is they will ask that first level of question about, hey, um, you know, why wh- why did you, uh, for example, book a meeting with me today? Um, but what they don't do is they don't do a good job of actually teasing out like the real reason behind it, right? Like, you know, yeah. somebody might actually book a meeting saying, hey, I, I was just in the market looking for, say, new technologies in the sales tech domain. But now, That has not yet answered your question on what the need is, right? Um, You might actually discover in a lot of cases, and if you can do that, that means you've done a good job, um, is that there's probably a personal motivation why the person wanted to do this right now, right? Uh, It might be related to them having a change in role or it might be related to them aspiring for a new role and trying to look for a new mandate for themselves within the company. Now, if you're able to actually understand all of those dynamics and you know, then correlate your solution to that, then that will really, really give you the upper hand uh, in winning that deal.
0: Yeah, so getting to impact, you know, if someone says, well, hey, I'm taking this, I'm looking to do some te- technology. Well, it's like, why? You know, oh, some of our reps aren't hitting quota. Well, what's the impact of that? You know, what's quota attainment like? What are your goals over the next six to 12 months? You know, kind of getting and unpacking all of that stuff. Is kind of what i'm hearing from you so if we step back like when we look at you know qualification as a whole what does the data tell us around doing this like if we combine all of these stats kind of together do we have like a macro stat around hey if you do these things here's what the win rates and you know loss rates will be do we have anything like that if we're looking at it more in a macro you know kind of scale
1: um that's that's an interesting one. So you're saying if I do all of you know b budget authority need and timeline, what happens? Um no, in this study we haven't done like uh you know a study across all four being getting picked off. Um, um but that would be an interesting one. And I think you know, part of the reason why we haven't done that is because sometimes these four get covered in different parts of the deal cycle. Um, so it's, yeah. it's somewhat harder to maybe uh, bring all of that data together. Um, yeah. But yeah, and that that would definitely be interesting to look at.
0: Yeah, God, there's just so much data. It's like, where do you start with this stuff? Is there? A, I think what we could probably you know, spend some time on here. Uh, what is some of the preliminary data that you're starting to see around the economy and recession and you know all of that kind of stuff? I know you guys are starting to look into.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I think there's been definitely a lot of talk uh, around things going down, uh, right? And we are seeing the impact of uh, layoffs, um, right, beginning to happen already. Um, so, you know, some of that, uh, I think everybody understands that there is a downturn, right? What people want to understand is the severity and the length of it, Um of course, you know, it's anybody's guess how long this might last. But I think in terms of severity, what we are seeing right now, and that's maybe the silver lining here is we are not seeing people talk about it as much, right? So it's, it's still, uh, I would say a a lot more in, um, you know, in their mental space, but not maybe the top of mind. Um, Unlike, you know, when uh, COVID was happening, that was the thing that everybody was talking about right like and it was yeah. definitely top of mind for everyone in every conversation right now we are seeing um that happen like you know downturn or economy being brought up um in calls but it's still in less than four to five percent of conversations um so i would say that's a, that's good uh, right um and what that means is that while we don't want to brush that um uh, Right under the carpet, uh, we we can uh, feel a little bit more positive that hey, if I can show value, mm-hmm. um, I think I can find budget and I can close the deal. Um, we are seeing where people are talking about the economic downturn. Um, the win rates are um, you know roughly half um, of what they are in um, cases where people are not talking about it. So. If you are uh, happen to be in like situations where people are bringing this up more, um, right, or if there are industries and verticals within, uh, you know, within the segments that you sell to, which are being hit much harder right now, maybe it's useful to go back and you know rebalance that a little bit, right? Like if there are industries that are maybe less impacted, go and focus on them for now. Um, And if you do come across those objections, I think you have to be prepared that, uh, you know, the outcomes might be less likely uh, in your favor uh, than they were uh, historically. Uh, And I think for sales leaders, it's good to now begin to therefore, you know, make some strategic decisions around that uh, in terms of, hey, which industries do I want to focus on, Uh, right? Do I continue to focus on uh, the same mix that I was doing earlier or maybe there is a rebalance, uh, Right. The second thing is, like, if I, you know, if I needed um, only, say, you know, hypothetically, like 50, um, you, know, S, uh, um, you know, sales qualified leads for each uh, of my AEs to hit their quota, now how will that number change because, uh, you know, the win rates are going to be lesser? Um, so, yeah, I think uh, some strategic decisions uh, definitely need to be made there.
0: Yeah. I definitely recommend for anyone listening to check out the episode we did with Todd Capone. He talked about that quite a bit, like the firmographic focus, like you're talking about looking at the industry verticals, who's the least affected right now and like really double down on that adjusting messaging. You said adjusting the sales math, essentially looking at your conversion rates through the funnel. Adjusting is necessary there. Um, this has been really great. Is there any other findings, anything else that you want to leave us with? Uh, before we take off this has been I love that we could go in and out of all of the data and talk about best practices at the same time but anything you want to want to share or leave us with
1: I mean I think right now uh, in in today's economic context I think what is most important is for everybody to just keep a very close watch on their top tracks and go back and iterate on it I think the reps are getting better at doing some of the basics. Like, you know, we've seen an increase in like, say even agenda setting. I know it's not, it should be hundred percent ideally for something like agenda setting. We've definitely had like, you know, close to 80% plus in terms of reps setting up next steps uh, on meetings. So I think some of those basics, uh, we are all getting better at. Um, But what is important right now is to keep a close track on what, Is the market saying what, what are your reps hearing and be willing to actually go back and change your talk tracks, change your approach, change your messaging, but also change your strategy, um, based on the market realities. Like don't be too harsh on your reps and say, Hey, this was working last month. Why is this not working now? Because, you know, a a lot of things might be changing, um, in those conversations.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Where can people go to get more information on wingman?
1: Yeah. So wingman uh, is now part of Clary. So you can go to clary.com or trywingman.com and uh, you know, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active, maybe not as active as Jason, uh, but very much there. Um, So just look for Shruti Kapoor um, and wingman by Clary. You'll find me.
0: Got it. And this data, will it be made public? Will people be able to find it anywhere? What's the what's the kind of scoop on that? Because I think you guys got a lot of great data.
1: Yeah, actually, we would uh, we would be uh, posting out uh, the data. Um, we are doing an, a weekly newsletter where we are bringing like one uh, snippet of the data every week uh, with a lot more color on, like you know, how do you actually make sense of that data? What are the best practices around it? Um, so do look out for uh, Wingman's uh, weekly sales newsletter. Um, But yeah, uh, Jason, I think we'll be sharing some with you and maybe you can help pass that along to your audience as well.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Check out trywingband.com. And uh, Shruti, it was great to have you on.